morning. So this morning we're going we're gonna to do a shift. We're going to look at something completely different. Um, in fact, if I, if I reflect on my walk, I don't think I've ever heard anyone do a, a series on this particular theme that we're going to be looking at for the next two weeks as well. But just for those of you who, for today is your first Sunday back after school holidays or, or whatever the case may be, just to catch you up on what we did um, in the last few weeks since Holiday Club, um, we've been looking at this theme of the kingdom, um, the kingdom of heaven, and we've been looking at it from different perspectives. And last week, um, Craig directed our attention to Luke chapter 14 and the fact that there's a cost involved to being a follower of Jesus. And we considered the fact that the kingdom of heaven comes through invitation. Um, it's not something that gets forced on us. We actually have a decision to make about whether or not we want to be part of the kingdom. And so we can, in fact, kind of be choose. We can choose to be one of the elect. And then there's also the fact that Craig raised that along with this freedom of choice comes the understanding that there's this cost attached to being a follower of Jesus. You know, being a follower of Jesus and being part of the kingdom means actually having to relinquish my control um, and submitting my control to God's control because, and this was something that struck me about what Craig mentioned last week, um, he said, when I get my way, people suffer, but when God gets his way, people prosper. So that was last week. Um, but this week and for the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at a theme um, that exists in Scripture, relates very strongly to the kingdom, um, but I, I think it relates more so to our mission as citizens and ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven. Um, and it's an aspect that relates very strongly to the places, to the spaces that people live in, um, and that's cities. Now, when we go to the, the dictionary um, to define, just taking a step back again, what kingdom is, it speaks about a clearly defined piece of land or a region that has borders that usually has a monarch who rules over it, usually like a king or a queen will rule over a kingdom. And so the dictionary defines it as that, you know, a country, state, or territory ruled by a king or a queen. But we know that when we think about how Jesus defines what kingdom is, it's nothing like that. Um, and I'm not going to rehash that again, but we have a sense that the kingdom that Jesus describes for us and invites us into is nothing like the, the kind of kingdom that we experience um, in the way that it is described there. Now, I don't know about you, but usually when we think of a kingdom, we invariably, like that definition, we relate it to a place. So when we think about, for example, the British kingdom, um, it conjures up in images for us of the lands that the British have conquered, have colonized, and have subjugated and so when I imagine in my mind what the fullness of the kingdom looks like when Jesus returns and establishes it 
establishes it in all of its fullness, I often imagine that in terms of a place. I need to have something to anchor my thought and this idea in, and invariably it turns out to be something like that. Heaven. And so heaven usually looks like a city when we think about it in our minds and when we entertain that thought and allow that to go. It seems that with this idea of the kingdom being now and not yet, we see some of it now but not in its fullness. I think when we, when we think about that and the way Jesus describes it for us, we wrestle with this um, spiritual image of a place versus the physical reality that we find ourselves in now as we are seated here. Now, when I think of this and I, and I allow my mind to wander, I don't know if you guys do this, um, there are a number of questions that, that come to my mind when I think about what it's going to be like when Jesus actually comes. And there are some questions that I, that I ponder on, like, um, will we still rely on technology when he comes? Will we still drive cars? Um, and one of the other questions that I have brings us to what we'll be meditating on. When Jesus comes again and he redeems everything that has been lost in the fall, then what's going to happen to cities? Are we, are we still going to have cities? Because physical cities, in the way that we understand it, they are like containers that hold the majority of the world's population. And now we know cities, when we think about cities, they've got lots of issues. Cape Town is no exception. I wonder, will Jesus do away with cities and return these spaces to a beautiful garden again, the way that it was in the beginning? I wonder about that. But cities, when we, when we think about them, seem to have this allure about them as places that have the potential to change our lives. Um, however, one of the biggest issues in our modern times today is the move of millions of people from the places that they once called home into these spaces that we call cities. And many people are unfortunately forced to do that, whether they want to or not. As I was doing some reading, I found that the, the United Nations Refugee Agency estimates that in the last few years alone, more than 100 million people have been forced to flee wars, conflicts, um, persecution, and other things. And in Africa alone, the number of people who have been forced to flee stands at roughly 38 million people. That's a lot of people. The vast majority of those people who have been forced to move, they long to go and to move into cities. And it stands to reason. And so many cities today have become like the cities of refuge spoken of in Numbers 35 
and Joshua chapter 20 that Vaughan spoke to us about a few weeks ago. Cities have become kind of like that, whether we like it or not. They've become these spaces of refuge for people who find themselves in need. And so as more and more people move to big cities with the promise of relief from war, relief from conflict, to find food for employment and other factors, the earth has become this thing that people call an urban planet. Cities seem to be growing everywhere. And currently more than half of the world's people already live in cities. And it's estimated by the year 2050, 2050, two out of every three people who live on the planet will be living in a city. That's 66% of the planet's population. People are going to be living in cities. And so in that time, rural life will be a distant memory of the past. I can't fathom that. That... Um, so many people will be living in spaces called cities. Now that has a sobering implication also on the environment, as we know. You know, cities consume vast amounts of food, energy, materials. A city leaves a thing called an ecological footprint. And it is estimated that the land usually that a city consumes needs a space that is usually 200 times bigger than the city itself to support the city with the need for food, crops, and other things. And then as we, and we like to live in spaces that are rich in, in, in biodiversity, and when we do that, there is this altering of the environment in dramatic ways for the animals and the plants that live around us. For us here in Cape Town, I think one of the ones that we are familiar with is the leopard toad. And how this, this little toad is facing extinction because people like to move into those kinds of areas. And then, of course, there's just the tons of concrete that we use. And they, the concrete stores heat. And so cities are warmer at night and hotter by day. And, of course, we know there's a lot of noise. Pylons is nice and quiet. But there's lots of noise in cities. And then there's the light pollution. And paved roads and rooftops prevent water from settling into the soil. And this leads to the kind of flooding that we saw in the last few weeks. Um, and there's also polluted runoff um, that runs into rivers and streams. So there's lots of negatives that are um, attached to life in cities, but it's not all doom and gloom. You know, cities are also attractive places to live because of their success. Um, because also when you put a lot of people in one place, you can improve efficiency. You use a lot less energy per person than people who live in rural areas. An efficient public um, transport system, when it works, um, makes a big difference to just our ability to move and get around. And then, of course, there's the accessibility of services with proximity to health care, schools, employment, etc., etc. So there are some positives to us being together in these spaces called cities. And so it seems from that... Um, that the decisions that we make today about how we build and how we live in cities 
will shape the lives of generations to come. In fact, our, our church eldership right now is talking about how best the use of our campus looks right now with the prospect of 10,000 people moving into Conradi Park um, development. What is that going to mean for us? Are we using what we have, the space that we have, to the best of its ability? And so it affects even us, even in small ways. But you know, there's also a, as I think about it, there's this spiritual aspect that is attached to cities that makes them places of significance. Cities are places of great significance in the sense that they are also places that have the highest density of image bearers of God per square kilometer. Just think about that for a moment. You know, um, and that's a different way to consider our neighbors. In that every person that you will encounter in the city, whether you like them or not, they are image bearers of God. Now, the idea of a city being a place with a higher concentration of image bearers of God than elsewhere should theoretically, if we think about it as followers of Jesus, it should reflect more spaces where we see actively the presence of God being welcomed and celebrated but that doesn't seem to be the case. And in the next two weeks, we're going to be meditating on how we have been called as followers of Jesus to be the ones to make the differences in those kinds of spaces and the places that God has chosen to place us, even for the Diorsi family as they move into a new space to hear what God is saying to them as he calls them there. And so for the rest of the time today, I want us just to take a snapshot of the flow of the theme of cities in the Bible. And next week, we'll take a closer look at a different aspect, and the following week, we'll tie it all together. Now, as we, as we move through this, it might just seem like a lot of information, but I want you to be constantly aware of your place in this story um, and to be listening for God's voice as he speaks to us collectively as a community with regards to our mission as followers of Jesus. Because we aren't, as we talk about this, we are not outsiders looking in. Rather, we are stakeholders wanting to best position ourselves in this city, in this world, in this, in this economy that works around the clock to kind of capture the souls of men and women. Just take a moment to read that. Do you, do you guys, do you recognize... Um, that paragraph. Have you seen it before? I think many of us have seen those words before or read them before. It says, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times, it was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness. 
It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven. We were all going direct the other way. So those lines, they are the opening paragraph of this very famous book. In fact, um, it's one of the best-selling novels of all times called A Tale of Two Cities. Um, it was written in 1859 by this um, guy called Charles Dickens. Um, and it is a story, if you took the time to read the book, it is a story of family relationships and betrayal during the time of the French Revolution. So the book relates and is set in London and Paris before and during the French Revolution. But the emphasis on it is family relationships and betrayal in it. Now, now in many ways, when I think of, of the, the story of the Bible, it's like the story of two cities in a sense. It is a story of the flow of the best of times and the worst of times. And how through all of that, God is walking with us, working in us, through us, to an end. Now for us, the, we can actually view our story as the story of the spirit of the empire of man. I think I said it a while back. It is the story of the spirit of the empire of man versus the spirit of the kingdom of heaven. And the story for us as we start reading through scripture, it begins in a garden. And our story is a story that has many twists as we start to think about and introduce this theme of cities. But at the start, it's as if the spirit of the empire of man enters into this beautiful garden. And immediately after Adam and Eve, as we know, they are exiled from this beautiful garden. And they have these two sons in Cain and Abel. And Cain, as we know, he kills his brother Abel. And then the Bible says he went from the presence of the Lord. And then we read there in Genesis chapter 4 that he and his wife, they have a child named Enoch. And then we are told that Cain built a city. And this is the first time in the Bible that a city is mentioned. And up until this point, life was lived in a beautiful garden that met all of man's and woman's needs. But here now, a different context is introduced in the place of a city. And then it says the Lord had put a mark on Cain to provide safety for him, but he didn't trust in God's security. And so he built a city of his own to create his own security. It was a city in which he intended for God to just stay out. It was this space that Cain built and created for himself that he didn't want God in. 
And next week, we'll look at what that meant practically. And after this, the story of the city starts to gain momentum. And we start moving away from this idea of a garden. And in Genesis 11, the Bible tells us that the people who were supposed to be spreading out throughout the earth, they get to the plains of Shinar and they settle there. And they begin to build another city. And then a tower. And, that would, and this tower that they built was a tower that would take them up to God and driven by their desire to make a name for themselves, they established this place. And this is a, a tenet of the spirit of the empire of man. And this is the spirit of the city of man which says, I don't need God and I don't need God's glory. I'll make my own glory. Our story continues and we are later introduced into another city that is established. And it's the city on a hill. And it's the city called Jerusalem. A place where God is now welcome. Where Yahweh comes and he tabernacles with his people. But as we trace the story of the city of God... On earth, we begin to see again emerging another ugly side of the story. And this city where God had come down to dwell there amongst his people, there in the temple, this city again becomes contaminated. And the people of Jerusalem, as we know, they do terrible things. And of course, the worst thing that they do is when God himself comes and presences himself amongst them, they put him to death. He is rejected and he is crucified. And again we see the statement emerge that God is not welcome here. So there's a sense in which the spirit of the empire of man that had emerged in Babylon, that had emerged in Sodom and in Gomorrah, believes that it is welcome even in the holy city of Jerusalem itself. And then as the story continues in the New Testament, the earthly city of Jerusalem seems to fade from the picture again as the body of Christ begins to grow. But over and over again in the New Testament, we are introduced to the idea of a new Jerusalem. In, the fact, in fact, that is how our story draws to a close, with this idea of a new Jerusalem. And in Revelation 21, when John writes that he sees a new heaven and a new earth come down, he says this, he says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And so as we, as we think about that snapshot, as we just briefly take a look at, at how this theme of a city, this, this theme of these places, these containers that are the holders of people on this earth, as we see it, we actually see that God is actually at work in these spaces. 
even though there are moments when we seem to lose sight of where he is. And an astounding image for us is one that God himself is preparing a city that he intends to live in with forever with his people, which is a, which is a direct opposite from how cities initially emerged. Cities emerged out of, a, out of man's desire to keep God out. But what God does is he redeems those spaces into spaces where he himself is at the center of those places. And this is the city, I think, that you and I imagine when we think about the images of the fullness of the kingdom of heaven. And this is the city that we all long to live in for, forever. And this new city that John describes for us there is a reflection of the heart of God. In the same way that the city that we live in, Cape Town, is a reflection of what is in our hearts. A city, if we are honest with ourselves, that is segregated along the lines of economics. A city that requires a lot of work. A city that still struggles with segregation between races. A city that struggles with issues of electricity, of sanitation, of transport, of housing, of schools, of hospitals, employment, and more. And we aren't the only ones. Our city is not the only ones. There are cities across the globe that struggle and wrestle with the issues that we do. And so the question, I think, as we move through this short series, the question that we want to wrestle is, how can we, being ambassadors of God, be used by God to bring shalom into the spaces where he has placed us? How can we be best used in our city? How do we bring the spirit of the kingdom of heaven into spaces where the spirit of the empire of man governs and keeps God out? How do we respond to the brokenness that exists within our city when our city is like a magnifying glass that again reveals what is in our hearts.